You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hello, I'm Mark Buckingham, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. I'm your host, Curtis Findlay, and today I have another Generation X interview. If you're just joining us, 2019 is the 25th anniversary of the Marvel comic Generation X, part of the X-Men franchise. And I am uh, I loved this comic growing up, and so I am celebrating by conducting a series of interviews with the many people who worked on that book through the years. Today's interview is with Inker Mark Buckingham. And you may know Mark Buckingham uh, from his work on Fables, probably some of his most well-known stuff. That was a series that lasted um, over well over 100 issues. And uh, he was the inker for Chris Pacello when they first launched Generation X. And they had worked beforehand on a couple of titles and and their styles really complement each other. So this is a great interview to get a little bit about behind the scenes of what it means to be an inker, what it means to work on Generation X, what it was like to work with Chris, and and just a variety of other stuff. We even touch on a little bit of his work on Doctor Strange. So that's a special treat for you there. Just before we move on to that interview, I want to just promote some of my social media. You can check me out at epicmarvelpodcast.com, send an email to epicmarvelpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. Just search for Epic Marvel Podcast. And you can even join my Epic Collection group on Facebook or find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash thunderquack because we are part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. So all of that said, I'd love to talk to you, so just send me a message and I'll be sure to respond. Meanwhile, you can enjoy this fantastic interview with inker Mark Buckingham. What was your entry into Marvel Comics? You mean in terms of discovering Marvel Comics, or do you mean in terms of actually getting into working for them? You know, let's do both. Um, what? <laughs> yeah, let's let's do both. When did you discover the comics themselves, the superheroes, that genre? I first discovered Marvel Comics when I was about aged. I would have been about six, five or six. And basically, uh, what it was is that here in the UK. We used to have our own sort of branch of Marvel Comics, Marvel UK, who um, started out by doing black and white anthology collections of, of comic books from, from the States. And they were basically serialized weekly, about sort of 40 pages long. And each comic would contain, um, you know, about three different Heroes. So, for example, the Mighty World of Marvel uh, used to feature the Fantastic Four and the Incredible Hulk and Daredevil, 
if I remember correctly, with the three strips that used to run in there. Okay. And then there was also a Spider-Man Weekly, which I think also had... Oh, gosh, you know what? I, my memory is... <laughs> is <well laughs> now. I can't remember what everything what was asked. But basically, I was seeing sort of early Marvel, you know, early 60s Marvels uh, reprinted in black and white, which was how most British comics were back then. We didn't we didn't really have colour comics at that point in the uh, in the early in the early parts of the seventies, and 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 it, it was coming in rapid fire. You know, within you know within the first year or two that those comics were being published, we were hit by you know four or five years worth of Marvel you know, in its in its foundation sort of period. And that, right. that was really influential on me, and especially the, the Fantastic Four, Kirby Lee stuff, really excited me and, and inspired me. So, I mean, I was drawing my own comic books and, and inventing characters right from the age of seven and used to, you know, make my own my books for to, to entertain my friends at school, you know, right from a, a very early age. So, uh, so that was my sort of introduction to Marvel. As far as actually working for Marvel goes, uh, I mean, I, I my career started at, at DC, yep. and I'd been sort of, you know, I, I worked on Hellblazer there initially as an inker, and then took over from Richard Rayner as the uh, as the penciler after a after a few months, and um, and then leapfrogged off to Eclipse, where Neil Gaiman and I were doing Miracle Man. And and so you know I was doing that, and alongside that I was doing various bits and pieces for DC. But it, increasingly it was inking work. And basically, when I hit a point in '93 where um, I was teamed up with with Chris Pacello and the two of us were were doing the Death Mini series together, that was a really important moment for me. I absolutely loved what Chris was doing, and I could see a lot of resonance between his art style and things that I'd done in the past or things that were interested me. Uh, so I wanted to kind of maintain that working relationship. But I also wanted more opportunities to do more work in my own right. And when he uh, made the leap then to go and work for Marvel on the two projects that they, they had him lined up for, which was Ghost Rider 2099 and also the um, the Generation X book, I saw that as a really good opportunity not only to continue working with Chris, inking him and learning a lot from him, but also because I was moving to a new publisher, I was more of an unknown property to them, which meant there were, were fewer barriers to me wanting to try my hands at other things. Oh, right. So immediately... Uh, that I started working there, um, I had opportunities to do cover art and I started getting little bits and pieces of penciling gigs coming through. And one of the things that was nice with the, the Ghost Rider 2099 book, which was the one that Chris and I worked on initially before the Generation X work kicked in, was that I knew Chris was only there to kind of set the book up. Uh, it was, it was, it was, you know, you, you lay out three issues, you do the design. I could kind of make that book my own alongside the, the more traditional inking role that I had with, with Chris on, on Gen X. 
So that worked extremely well for me because it meant, you know, right from the off, you know, from issue two onwards, I was doing cover artwork. You know, I was doing finishes rather than than inks, which meant I could start to bring more of myself into the work straight away. And, you know, there were issues of that book that I that I penciled as well as doing finishes over other artists like Peter Gross um, uh, as, as, the, as the series progressed as well. So I found that a really useful kind of starting point for me doing other stuff at Marvel in my own right. And that in its turn led on to me doing, you know, bits of Star Trek Unlimited and, you know, quite, I ended up doing quite a long run on Doctor Strange and various other, kind of odd jobs as well around that there you go <laughs> long-winded uh, answer to to two questions in one go that's great now tell me about uh, uh being a finisher for chris how do you go about finishing someone's artwork well i mean in in the case of um the ghost rider 2099 stuff i mean what chris was drawing was effectively kind of just almost like silhouette figures but with a little bit more detail when it came to to heads and hands and things like that so it was it was shapes it was forms but there was no placement of black there was very little in the way apart from you know big block areas where he would put little x's in so i'd know that that was you know major dark tones required but other than that, you know, a lot of the de- all the detailing was really sort of left to me, all the weight, all the tone, and, and you know, and as you know, as that developed, you know, a lot of background stuff as well was sort of much more sort of left to my to me to sort of figure out. Um, so it meant that you know, right from the outset, I could sort of just treat it more as um, as a job that I was kind of coming into and putting my own stamp on straight away. So, it, it, you know, I was sympathetic to, to Chris's style. I was, I brought with me a lot of things that I'd learned from working with him on death. So there were some things that I was applying to the look of that book that were probably more in keeping with where we'd just come from rather than where we then went with Gen X, because obviously I hadn't really seen anything of what, Chris had planned for Generation X at that point, and you know when it did start to come through, it had it had a different feel, and it it, it was it had a little bit more weight and um, uh, more dynamic than I, than we'd had with the Death stuff, which was more sort of sensitive and uh, a little bit more live, I suppose, is the term I'm sort of looking for, you know, because it was more realistic sort of people, whereas with, with Gen X, there was definitely a sense that we were drawing big, strong characters, and there was a more weight and presence to them, um, which was very much in keeping with, with a more dynamic Marvel style, but still essentially Chris. <laughs> Every inker has their own way of inking a page. Uh, when you're inking for over Chris's full pencils, what do you? How do you go about doing I've that? I've always been relatively sort of scattershot. I'm not, and it's the same with my with my penciling as well as with my inking. I I don't start, you know, top top left corner of page one. I'm I'm much more of a an organic sort of feel it out, do little bits and pieces here and there. Um, and certainly with the inking, you know, I'll work over a number of pages at once 
you know, and then when I, you know, if I get a certain feel or a certain line with my brush that is feeling really good and, and is perfect for a particular thing, like, for example, I've got a really nice uh, delicate line that would be perfect for hair, I'll just blitz through a bunch of pages just doing lots of of that particular feel of, of line work in order to sort of focus on that. Or I might, for example, if, um, you know, I do most of my work with brush, but there'll be odd things like if I'm doing, you know, buildings in backgrounds or maybe I'm doing some particular sort of fine detailing that might be more appropriate to use a pen, that might be something that I save for, say, in the evening with a sketchbook on my lap to rest on, you know, with a, a movie or a TV show I like on in the background so that I can kind of treat that as something that's a little bit more relaxing. Whereas with the brushwork, there's a lot more attention and, and precision required. And obviously, you know, when you've got bottles of ink around you and things like that, it's not the sort of, you know, the need to keep washing a brush out with water. You can't really do that anywhere than other other than at your your desk, your drawing board. So, you know, I, I would kind of compartmentalize the work to uh, to fit with what was appropriate, both in terms of time of day and location and what was feeling right in terms of where I was going with the work. So with Generation X, when did you fit into the whole process here? Did you see a lot of the, the pre-stuff that Chris was doing beforehand, or did you just kind of get the artwork as it was I didn't in? see a huge amount. I mean, certainly I, I, I did see one or two of the the sort of character sketches. But I think because, um, you know, we, we had set up things on the, the Ghost Rider 2099 book, and then, and then once he'd done it sufficient to kind of get that book up and running, he kind of jumped and left me working on that to be busy penciling Gen X pages. I think I was kind of felt focused elsewhere and was basically like, well, when it starts coming, of course, I'll jump straight into inking that. But I don't think it was one of those cases where I needed to be kept in the loop, particularly about that side of things. Uh, but obviously, right. the moment any finished pieces started to come through, they they would just arrive <laughs> at my studio and and I would jump on them. I mean, they are, you know, the only real difference is, you know, he, he was at, uh, on the other side of the of the pond and here I am in in the UK so you know it was always I was always a couple of days away uh, with a FedEx delivery in terms of actually getting my hands on pages so they tended to save stuff up so that it okay. sent me a reasonable chunk of material in one go so you know I rarely I rarely saw stuff until there was basically an issues worth ready to go or in the case of the um the little ash can that first I think it was twelve pager. The, the volleyball, that the, you know, that came as one chunk. And I can't remember if there was any promo material that came with it, but definitely that was you know the starting point, and then page. I think that was the starting point, and then pages for uh, issue one came through. I think again in in more or less in one in one go. What were your impressions when you first saw these Generation X pages coming? Oh, I, I, I thought they were absolutely gorgeous. You know, certainly that first four four issue story arc that opened the the series up, I absolutely adored everything that Chris was doing in that. And then he went and 
excelled further with the um, the generation next. I mean, I, for mm-hmm. something that was a kind of odd tangent for a for a crossover event. I mean, I think the the quality of the work that he did on that four parter was so strong. I think you know people's memory of that is as is as um, uh, strong as it is for the opening of, of the Generation X series itself, I think. Uh, he it, it felt like it was a kind of a second launch within a book that was still in its first year and very significant. Around this time, Marvel was starting to experiment with things like digital color. Did, does that affect the way you ink at well, all? Well, I mean, it does, except that I think, you know, especially when you're, when you're inking, I think a lot of decisions have been made by the penciler before it kind of gets to you. So you're very much, you know, following um, a, a road, if you know what I mean. It's not, you know, there, there, there is a, there's a certain extent to which those those decisions have been taken for you, especially with someone like Chris, whose work is exceptionally tight. Um, so, you know, every bit of hatching, every every line and a nuance is there you know you really are just um not i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't demean it by calling tracing but you you definitely are in no doubt of what's required of you in terms of of what you're providing with the ink finish you know there's there's a certain amount of uh, refining and and clarifying and 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 little adjustments to weight, but it's it's all clearly there. But I mean, in terms of uh, in terms of color, I mean, I, it was Steve Busolato who was the the colorist on that book, and I must admit, I mean, his work also absolutely blew me away at the time. I mean, I you know, d- digital coloring was still a relatively new. Uh, advance in 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 comic book production and i mean there's been there had been people that had impressed me in those early days i mean steve olaf was someone i i I greatly admired and there were other people i I particularly picked up on at that time but i remember when i saw the the dynamism but also the the range and the textures that that steve was giving us on that book it really felt like it was something special and I knew I could kind of rely and tr- and trust in him to do a fabulous job. So I really just focused my attention on making sure that I did everything right in my part of the job and, and then could relax when it left me, which is the ideal situation. You know, when you, you want to be in, when you're doing these kind of books where you're working as part of a, of a creative team, it really makes a huge difference if you have trust in everyone you're working with if you know the scripts are going to be strong if you know that you know your the other artists in the team are going to be delivering top quality work if you know the coloring and lettering is all going to be absolutely in tune with with where the project's going there's a level on which you can relax and just enjoy it and allow instincts to take over i mean that's always been for me the the kind of the best working environments have, have been relationships like that and you know gen x was one that felt like that for me obviously fables you know looking at my more recent career was yeah. was was definitely a case where i never wanted to lose anyone from the team because it always 
felt like if we were all on board, it was all of us at our best. In the first issue of Generation X, the scene in the airport when M-Plate is sort of, he's like between dimensions or he's like a little out of phase or such. There are some incredible like inking effects to make him look just sort of a, a little bit smeared. What did you do in order to make that look the way it did? Because it's it's a really, really neat effect. There, there was uh, a lot of things that Chris used to do back then, which I also kind of picked up on and played with, with my own work, which is to do with effectively um, making, you know, doing a, making a drawing, uh, making a photostat of it, but actually manipulating the image as it's being scanned. So oh, okay. actually sort of stretch and warp the form. And uh, it's incredibly effective. And, and, you know, and again, if you're working with a good colorist, they can kind of latch onto that and then take it, you know, to, to further uh, lengths so that you end up with something that really feels quite strange and otherworldly. But yeah, that was, that was the sort of thing that Chris played with a lot in that period of his career. Um, again, you see, that was one of the reasons why I like working with him so much because he was he was trying to do things that I I thought, oh yes, I want to learn how these these techniques are created. I want to sort of pick up this and add this to my own skill set. So it was a wonderful opportunity to learn as well as working with someone that I greatly admired. Do you have any other examples of little things that you picked up uh, in this area? Oh, um, well, I mean, there were lots. <laughs> I mean, I, I also picked up too many of his traits. Uh, there was, I basically ended up at a point where I kind of became the um, uh, the sort of stunt double for Chris to, to a certain extent, or his, his kind of you know, uh, the, the the sort of budget option. You know, I, well, I want Chris, but <laughs> he's too busy or he's <laughs> elsewhere. So we'll get we we'll get Bucky, and I guess that you know I think the second Death mini series where I I kind of ended up having to sort of help out on on the penciling side of things was a clear example of where I could just sort of become Chris if I needed to. Um, but it was, but you know, it was a useful, useful skill to have. And you penciled a full issue of Generation X yourself. Yes. Um, number 32. Yep. Were you trying to um, purposely emulate Chris or be your own thing? Oh, I think point? I was um, uh, very much in a, in the frame of mind that I wanted to sort of emulate what we'd done. Uh, um, I don't mm-hmm. think that that was particularly reflective of my own style at all. But I think in a way that was partly a sort of a goodbye to the, to the series really. Um, you know, I wasn't really looking at it as an opportunity to, you know, reinvent the book or make it my own. I think it was more of an opportunity to sort of bid farewell. Just because right. at that point I was kind of starting to head off in other directions, and I was—I uh, think it was not long after that. I think that I went off to DC to draw Batman and then Titans, and 
you know, I was I was basically a kind of leaving inking behind, but I kind of wanted sort of one last hurrah doing that book with those characters. And I think I was so wedded to the pleasure that I took from working on that book with Chris that it was hard for me not to to draw it in a way that was a homage, I guess, in a way to what we had done mm-hmm. before. And did you ask to do that book or did someone I'm pretty it sure it was just a case of it was offered to me because I don't, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I think it was definitely a case that it was Bob Harrison, uh, Ben Rabb, I think, were the editorial at the time. I think they had mm-hmm. they had come to me and said, oh, do you want to, to do this? And I, uh, if I remember correctly, that was Tom DeFalco's script, wasn't it? If I, yeah, yes, it was. Uh, yep. And I, I, I liked Tom a lot and I was really keen to work with him so you know I think it was one of those happy circumstances where I got to draw characters that I loved working with people I admired so it was it was you know it was it was not difficult for me to say yes and in fact you know, Tom and I did at one point we almost ended up doing amazing Spider-Man together there was there was a point where I kind of could have gone either way I could have gone off to, to um to DC or I could have stayed with Marvel and I think it was just a case that in the end the the contracts kind of came together on the DC side of things and what they were offering appealed so I kind of went that way partly because I think I'd also reached a point in my career at, at that stage where I kind of needed another big change in much the same way that going to Marvel opened doors for me and allowed me to, to do certain things I think I'd come around to the point where going back to DC was going to sort of free me to be able to try some different things and and move in different directions. When you were uh, when you were on Gen X, you were also penciling Doctor Strange at the same time. Uh, right? Quite possibly. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think back then I had um, I had a studio in my hometown, uh, working with another uh, artist, friend of mine, Kev Sutherland. And uh, and we had a couple of assistants, Becky and Lucy, that used to work with us. And so um, we used to do an awful lot of work through that studio. I mean, I, I could ink, just on my own, I could ink an issue of Generation X in a week. Uh, oh, wow. So, you know, there was room in my schedule for to be able to do other stuff so i always had you know tried to have at least one or a couple of other projects running uh, alongside what i was doing on the gen x book you know and kev also had uh, had books of his own comics in the uk that he was doing and we also had various other sort of little bits of business coming through, bits of product design, the you know, T-shirt designs, that sort of stuff that was coming through the studio as well, and stage stuff as well because Kev was involved in the local um, in the comedy scene and had a TV show and all sorts of stuff was going on. So it was a very kind of exciting time where there was an awful lot of activity, lots of things going on. And, and we just relished uh, being, you know, really... Uh, lost in in a huge swathe of work that we could kind of really really get our teeth into, and so Kev Kev would also you know he would do finishes on some of my stuff or he'd assist me on some of the other books that I was working on and things like that. So it was 
you know that that was they allowed the opportunity to be able to to do a lot of other stuff as well those issues that you did for Doctor Strange, is it was it interesting that you had a you were on Generation X, which was like doing really really great at, at that time, um, selling tons of copies, top ten in Wizard magazine and such. And then there's Doctor Strange, who was in pretty big trouble in the public eye, and he was on his way out. Yeah, does that change your attitude when you're having to work on a book that's doing really well, and also at the same time doing a, a working on a book that's not doing I really well? I think from my point of view, I found it quite liberating. <laughs> because okay. because I, think, I think if you have something that you know is kind of the successful bread and butter book that you know isn't going anywhere, that gives you that sort of stability and presence, and that's reassuring. You know, if I if I was only working on books that were in trouble, <laughs> I'd be a lot more nervous. But I think in this case, it was definitely an instance of I knew the book was was not doing great when they came to me, and basically that was the that was the point. Is they brought me on board, they brought Warren Ellis on board, and it was like, okay, we do a three issue story with Doctor Strange, try and reboot him because the direction it was going in wasn't working anymore. I came up with a, a conceit for how we did the big change and and Warren came up with with you know where we were gonna go in terms of him moving more towards kind of Gaia Earth magic and re-energizing himself that way and it would change the nature of the way that he worked and the kind of environments and, and foes that he'd come up against. And we just ran with it. And it, and basically we got to the end of that three issues and Warren was like, okay, I'm, that's that's my three-part story done. I'm, I'm good. I'm off. Uh, but we'd we done well enough <laughs> that they hadn't cancelled it. It was like, okay, so we keep going. And, and I thought, okay, fair enough. And and that's when, um, gosh, it was J.M. DeMattis came on board then as the writer. And I uh, I really liked his writing, so I knew that that was something I wanted to sort of stay on board with and see where it took us. And I must admit, I actually sort of really enjoyed the way that book went then for, for those next few issues. And again, you know, it was one of those cases where, you know, I kept expecting that we'd get to the end of each story arc and <laughs> and they'd cancel us, and it, and, and it didn't <laughs> happen. So, I mean, the fact that I managed to keep the book afloat for about, a year or, or more, you know, I consider to be a fairly good job, well done. Um, yeah, that's great. And and I, I took a lot of pleasure from from working on that. I, he's a that character. I mean, Doctor Strange is is one of my my favourites from from the Marvel universe. You know, I mean, I I, I I tend to be a huge fan of Kirby, but funnily enough, when it comes to actually picking characters that I really like to draw, I keep ending up with with a fondness for Ditko created ones. You know, it's his Spider Man and it's Doctor Strange. Both seem to be ones that I take a feel really comfortable drawing. That would make sense, and I think Chris's style leans more toward Ditko than it does to Kirby as well, uh, and yours, yours in fact as well. You definitely see more Ditko than I think. Well, I did. It did back then. <laughs> I think that was the funny <laughs> thing is that I then, you know, when you know, when it, a bit later on, when I uh, got to 
2000 and I I was put together with Paul Jenkins to do Spider-Man stuff for Marvel. That was the point at which I also kind of rediscovered Kirby, all thanks to the um, Tomorrows and their Jack Kirby collector. And I was seeing all of these... Uh, you know, classic Kirby stories reproduced from from his pencils, and it completely changed the way that I drew. And I threw away all my delicate little propelling pencils, and suddenly just went to the local, you know, stationery store and just brought the cheap, you know, back to school ones with the eraser on the end that all the school kids use, um, and just started drawing in a much more immediate and direct style and just allowed everything to be heavier um and suddenly superhero comics made sense for me <laughs> it was like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, okay i get it now you know suddenly everything had that sort of energy and that weight that i'd been sort of missing before because i'd always had a much more delicate and sensitive style which i think came from the fact that so much of my early career was was vertigo and was dealing with sort of fantasy and horror rather than superheroic. So I think I'd come at it from a very different point of view. Um, so that was that was interesting to see the way that that kind of affected then the way that I drew after that. And I mean, from then on, with the with the Spider-Man run, and then on into Fables, you know, that was then a much more consistent style and much more my own, uh, just because that had kind of given me the the twist on my own work that was needed to sort of make it more unique to me. Yeah, that definitely comes through with Fables for sure. Yeah. So who's your favorite Generation X character? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, Either just personally or to draw. Would you do what? I I rather liked them all, Um, which is a really... useless thing to say <laughs> I, I mean I had a great fondness for Paige for Husk uh, yep. Chamber I, I I thought was a terrific character it's visually he was fabulous to draw um, I yeah. still you know if someone asked me for um, for a Gen X character these days at the convention you know, for a sketch I, I tend to drift towards Chamber or um, Penance funnily enough are the two that I tend to find most comfortable to draw um but yeah i I, you know i had a fondness for for them all in for different ways but definitely i think those two were probably the ones i liked most skin was great though i mean i mean i i think anything that, that allows you to be a bit more playful and and exaggerate is always always a good thing being in a different on a different continent as Chris, did that make things um, harder to collaborate, or did you did you find ways around? Um, to be fair, it I don't really see it as a as a huge problem. No, I, I you know I mean I've I've spent my entire career working with you know usually be, being in part of a team where you know we we can all be spread out over two or three different continents and it doesn't really feel any difference to working with someone who lives in the same town or or you know 20 miles from here you know it's it's um it is it, you know we all tend to work in in isolation in our own little bubbles and you know we 
you know, back then it was faxes and, and telephone calls and then boxes of artwork arriving. And these days it's all more immediate with with internet and the fact that you can, you know, share artwork and get quick responses to questions in the moment. Um, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that, that speed is, is really wonderful and certainly allows you to be able to avoid major problems with, with deadlines and, and schedules because you can literally be in a situation where one person's written a page, somebody else has penciled it, and the next person has inked it, and then it's lettered and coloured, and you can all do all of that in 24 hours if you time it right. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's glorious, whereas back then, you know, everything did take a while. But you know that was that that was how it was, and we just accepted that that was the the way things got done. But I did used to I did speak with Chris a few times on the the telephone, and uh, and we did meet up once uh, because he came over to London for a comic convention. So that was wonderful to actually get to to spend some time with him as well. You know, I would love it if you know, if there was more opportunity to actually spend time with and hang out with with the people I work with. But, um, you know, equally, you know, it's the kind of job that requires you to just, you know, be in, in a spot and getting on with it as opposed to, so it's not a social job really, you know, unless you're at a convention or something. So during that little hiatus that Chris took when uh, we went over to to do the death series, mm-hmm. there was a you, you stayed on as inker, uh, and you worked with a, a bunch of yes, I, I did some work with Pascal Ferry and Tom yep. Grummet, and I, I, I'm sh- I'm sure many others that don't, that don't you know escape me right now. But I think Roger Cruz did a couple that's of issues. Right, yes. So what was that like having to jump from? Uh, Artist to artist. Well, yeah, funnily enough, that was harder um, because I was so kind of locked into the Chris style and approach and, and and being able to rely on him that it was it was strange and hard to suddenly have somebody else drawing these characters and it being a different approach and, you know, feeling like another book. Um, you know, I would do my best, but I, I always tend to be sympathetic to to the penciler that I'm collaborating with. So, you know, I didn't feel able to sort of impose a kind of a, a house style, you know, this is, I, I didn't, I didn't grab, you know, get pencils from other people and think, okay, well, you, you know, you need to be adapted to look more like what we were doing before. I always just let their, their styles come through and just run with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the only difference is that I could, you know, make the odd little correction here and there if, if I notice continuity faults or anything like that, uh, but no, I mean I, I, I enjoyed it. But I mean I didn't need to leave the book because you know I could, as I said, you know I used to be comfortable working on, you know, a couple of books or three books a month. So you know, you know, you know, going off to do the death series with Chris wasn't going to be sufficient to keep me <laughs> uh, right. you know busy on its own so you know i i, w- I was happy to, to to stay on on that book and, and keep producing work for um for gen x but i, I know that um you know it was the, the work tended to come a little bit more sporadically 
you know, because we were ch- jump, jumping around working with different artists. And of course, you know, when you're a, when you're coming in to fill in on a book and just do an issue or two or a short run, usually there's there's a bit of time that's that's needed to get used to the characters and to kind of get yourself into the right mindset for the material that you're now working with. So it does tend to build in more delay. So I did find that during that period, it was much more common that I would get a bunch of pages through, but I wouldn't get the full issue because... Okay. especially being in the UK so you know a couple of days to get to me and then a couple of days for the artwork to get back again you know it quite often that was enough of a lag that if things weren't running to schedule like they would have been uh, with, with with Chris and I working together it, it was necessary for some pages to go to other uh, you know to other inkers but that's fine you know you, you know when you do that kind of work you also find that occasionally, bits and pieces of other books come to you that you weren't expecting because they know that you're sitting waiting for something, you know, so I, you know, all of a sudden I get a page or two or cable or something like that would appear and it's like, okay, we need your help. So, you know, that's just the kind of the nature of the way the, the business tends to run when you're working in a big, big publisher like Marvel or DC and you're doing, you know, inking, coloring work, lettering, you, you, you quite often find that, you know, there's a bit more fluidity between books. What are you working on these days that you would like to share with our listeners? That's a good question. Well, I mean, primarily, I'm I'm back to the thing that I did 30 years ago with Neil Gaiman, which is with Miracle Man, because uh, um, right. uh, you know I'm back at Marvel now and um, I'm co-writing uh, new stories with Neil and also busy penciling and inking. New, new issues as, as we speak um, so that's that's keeping me busy most of uh, this year but I have a, f- a few other bits and pieces on on the go as well you know I've, uh, no, nothing nothing I can particularly talk about <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, um, and nothing that's sort of coming out uh, anytime soon the miracle man stuff is really sort of dominating my attention right now but uh, you know as is as is always the case when you're freelance you you're always lining up new things for for when you're done with whatever you're on right now do you miss the 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 inking days because you've sort of fully moved into pencils and writing now uh, right basically when i stopped working with chris i basically it was because i was giving up inking uh, I mean, I would ink myself, but I mean, I had made a very conscious decision that I, I was leaving that part of my career behind, because I realised that unless I fully invested my time and effort in in developing my own work, it would never reach the standard that I was looking for, you know, and I wouldn't. And and the problem is, I was too fond of Chris's work, and as long as I was working with Chris. I knew my own voice would always uh, potentially be, you know, subverted by by other influences. Uh, I've always had this sort of tendency to to consume my my um, collaborators and to sort of take on their traits. Um, you know, it was the same with Richard Rayner when I was starting out. 
on Hellblazer, you know, the, the early work I did for DC was very much, you know, influenced by what I'd learned from working with him. Um, and I just reached a point in my career where, I, you know, I didn't want to be the chameleon anymore. I didn't want to be the guy that you, you would have trouble spotting a Mark Buckingham strip because every time I drew another book, it was in another style. You know, so I, you know, that was a very deliberate, conscious decision. And, you know, over the course of the, the late 90s, when I went back to D.C., you know, it was, it was a, an ongoing process of sort of slowly reinventing myself. And then it wasn't really till I went back to Marvel in 2000 with Spider-Man stuff that I kind of found my, my own true voice. You know, it was that and then being put together with Bill Willingham for the first time when we did the Merv Pumpkinhead Agent of Dream uh, book. Uh, you know, those two projects was where I, I started to really um, shake off any other influences and, and become myself. And then with Fables, that was where that was sort of cemented and I really sort of just became me and, 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 and became comfortable with that, you know. That's incredible. Yeah, what a great career. It's just, it's neat to see um, how it all unfolded and it's kind of a, um, brought to a head with, with Fables. It all kind of w worked. Everything that you've done kind of worked to get to you to that point. Oh, thank you. It's just, that's, that's nice of you to say. I, I, I you know, it, it was a combination of hard work and luck, but, um, yeah. Uh, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, I ended up where I needed to be eventually. <laughs> For sure. Well, I'll tell you, I, I, this is not a podcast about Vertigo, but I definitely want to mention that I loved Fables from like the whole way through, oh, which is you. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so, so entertaining. And I love your work on there. Oh, so thank, thank you, you very much for that. Thank yeah. you so much. Um, okay, well, you know, I think that does it for our interview. I thank you very much, Mark, for joining me on the show and talking about Generation X and all of the stuff that we talked oh, about. Oh, it's today. been my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>